Hello Trekkies, welcome back to another episode of Yelling About Star Trek. My name is Christian Fox, and this is the show where I yell at you about all things Star Trek for your amusement, so I'm not yelling at my friends and family who don't want to hear my thoughts and theories on this fantastic franchise. Today, I want to talk about the Keiko O'Brien situation on Deep Space Nine, and explain why I think it is perhaps DS9's greatest failure. But before I get into all of that, I do want to provide a few updates. Last Saturday, I was able to co-host the Scotch Trekker show on YouTube and Facebook, and we were able to interview Max Cervantes. And Max is a really cool guy who's actually done a lot of extra work. You might recognize him as the dude in engineering that has a red engineering outfit in Star Trek VI, but looks terrified that he's about to die, but also looks professional, which I always thought was impressive. But even more impressive than all of that, he's actually done a lot of prop design work with the various franchises. He was integral in making the new and improved Delta that we see in DS9 and, well, it was actually meant to be introduced in Generations, but was introduced in DS9 first because of production reasons. He was also part of the development behind the really cool phaser rifles that debuted in First Contact. And the gentleman had just so many interesting stories about working in the industry, working on Star Trek, dealing with impossible deadlines where the studio was like, hey, you got to get this done and you only have 20 minutes to do it. And he and his team would figure out a way to, to get it done. And so a really cool interview. I highly suggest you check it out. It's on YouTube right now. But if you are liking that whole show, then definitely check us out. We air every Saturday at either 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, depending on when the guest is available, but we usually air on those times, so definitely check it out. And as I mentioned in a previous episode, I do have a merchandise store, which you should definitely check out. Buy some merch. It helps me out, and I think it looks cool. So definitely check that out, and you can find it at Spreadshirt.com, and the store is actually called Yelling About Trek. I couldn't get Star Trek for some reason, so it's called Yelling About Trek. And I don't know if I mentioned this in previous episodes, so I should mention it now, but if you do want to contact me and talk about Trek with me, or you have questions or comments or concerns, then you can either hit me up on Instagram at yelling underscore about underscore Star Trek, or you can follow me on Twitter at Christian underscore Fox. And I apologize for butchering that. It's really weird to give out Twitter handles or just at Christian A. Fox is probably the easiest way to find me. So definitely hit me up at those places if you do want to chat or you just have some comments or concerns. But as usual, make sure you get out of your space pajamas, put on your shiniest pair of boots, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, maybe some iced tea if you want to pull the Captain Archer maneuver, and brace for impact because things are going to get nerdy. Deep Space Nine. Let's talk about Deep Space Nine for a little bit. Now, it might not be your favorite Star Trek series, and 
it might not even be the best Star Trek series. It's very divisive. People have lots of opinions about DS9, which, to be fair, most fans have lots of opinions about all of the series because, well, that's what we do is we, as fans, have opinions on things because we're human and we're passionate about it. So, yes, there's always going to be lots of differing opinions about different franchises and lots of really good conversations. But regardless of what you think about DS9 in terms of it being truly Star Trek and being the best of the best, or maybe the worst of the franchise, depending on what you think. But one thing that you cannot argue is that DS9 had absolutely phenomenal character development. And I mean, every single character on that show was really well developed. Of course, you have all the main characters, like you've got O'Brien, you've got Cisco, you've got Odo, you've got Bashir, you've got Dax, you've got Kira, you've got Jake, and then you have all of the secondary characters who are reoccurring, but a lot of them feel like they're actually main characters that are regular stars and not just reoccurring. People like Garrick, people like Nog, people like uh, Vic Fontaine to a lesser degree, Kai Wynn, Gal Dukat, Wayun, Damar. All of those characters are phenomenal and they all grow in such a fascinating way that is just, you know, when you watch it, you're like, whoa, these people are really changing. It feels like a living, breathing world where people grow. And that's where DS9 excels. And it literally does this 99% of the time. So when you get a character like Keiko O'Brien, her lack of development and the overall failure of that character just is so much harder to swallow because it's DS9 and the standard of DS9 is so high as we see with everybody else that it just makes it harder to take that, okay, they didn't get Keiko right. But if for some reason Keiko had been more heavily featured in TNG, her underdeveloped nature would have been fine because it's TNG and that's what they do. I mean, you do get great characters like Picard, Riker, uh, and Data, and even Dr. Crusher to a lesser degree. But then there's people like Jordy and, and Troy who just don't really seem to grow. You know, having characters not grow is not so unheard of in TNG that when it happens, it, it sucks, but it's it's more forgivable because, well, the standard has never been set that high overall, even though obviously I love TNG. I just want to clarify that before people get angry or maybe get outraged, as I always like to say. But in DS9, when you have such a high uh, pedigree of characters that are just so well-developed, Keiko is just really disappointing and very, very frustrating. But there are two reasons that I think Keiko is a bad character, even though I think Rosalind Chow, who plays her, does a good job with what she has, and I have nothing against the actor herself, it's just she wasn't given great material. And two things that I think bring her character down overall is, one, that Keiko really didn't get a lot to do in this series, and the writers didn't seem to know what to do with her, and two, the fact that she was presented as a nagging wife. But first, I want to talk about the fact that they didn't seem to know what to do with her. So when we start off this series, Cisco and the rest of the gang, they're on the station. There are some kids there, but the kids, it turns out, don't have a lot to do. And Keiko herself really doesn't know what to do on the station. She's kind of bored and just like, well, what do I do? She does botany, but she really wasn't doing botany in the first season, and the kids not having a school, the writers were like, oh, let's just have Keiko run the school, which 
I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I do wonder if there was some sexism there where it's like, well, she's a woman, so maybe she should be a teacher. And that's why they gave her the school. Or maybe not. It's also suggesting that with teaching, it's something that you can wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be a teacher and open up a school and then wake up that day and open up a school and become a teacher. It makes it seem like it's that easy, which it's not. That requires lots of training and you can't just walk into that situation. So that was kind of frustrating in the sense that they really didn't know what to do with her. So they just made her a teacher, which I understand You know, they want to have a teacher and they want to have a school for the kids, which, of course, you need that. It just seemed like, well, we have this character and we don't know what to do with her, so let's just have her teach, even though there's been no hint of a background in teaching or education or, you know, the things that you would need to do that. So it's just, it's lazy. And then the school gets shut down by the second season, and it's not really referred to again. And then Keiko is just sort of miserable on the station and she doesn't have anything to do and she's doing some botany things and that's about it then eventually she starts doing uh work on bejar where she's you know studying the different plants and doing surveys and doing all of that stuff which is great and it gives her something to do but we're never ever really shown the value of what she's doing i mean if you look at voyager there are so many episodes where they refer to the hydroponics bay and the fact that they're growing their vegetables and that they need to do it. And Neelix has a number of episodes where he says, hey guys, uh, you know, I know we're running low on power or someone will say, hey, Neelix, we're going to be in this area of space and we're not going to have access to supplies. What can you do for us? And then Neelix is like, oh, well, I've got this plan. You know, we're going to be able to extend our rations. We're going to do all this stuff to make sure that You know, we're still able to eat even in these situations where we don't have access to replicators or other resources. So I would have thought that Keiko could do something like that. And granted, she doesn't need to grow fruits and vegetables for, you know, a lot of the series before the Dominion War because they have replicators and they have all the stuff that they need. But I would have thought that maybe during the Dominion War, there might be an issue with resources or there might be some plot line where it's like, hey, Keiko, we need your help. You need to help us figure out how to grow stuff because, you know, for whatever reason, we don't have access to our replicators and there's power shortages and uh, or maybe, you know, maybe she needs to go to a different worlds that are getting cut off from the Federation because of the Dominion or something like that where... She's actively contributing to the safety of our heroes and to the safety of the wider universe. Not saying that she has to save the universe every week, but just give her something to do that it feels like she's contributing. So she's not just going off to Bajor and, you know, we as the viewers don't feel like, hey, the writers don't know what to do with her. So they're just sending her off the station because whenever she's on, it just causes problems. So that to me is the first frustration, the fact that they just really didn't know what to do with her when even Jake is able to find uh, something useful to do, like he becomes a journalist. And I respect the fact that with Jake, they didn't have him go down the traditional route of, oh, his dad's a Starfleet officer, so Jake's going to go into Starfleet, and then he's going to become an ensign, and then he's going to serve on the ship and become a war hero and all this stuff. They're like, no, 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 we're not going to do any of that. Instead, they have Jake become a writer, which is great for a lot of the series. But then when the Dominion War starts, he ends up becoming a journalist and, you know, writes some pretty powerful articles and plays a pretty integral part in helping the Federation take back the 
station or rather Starfleet take back the station. So he does a lot of stuff and then they give the Starfleet role to Nog, which is great. And they give Nog a useful storyline. They give Rom a useful storyline where Rom becomes an engineer and is able to help save the day and prevent the Dominion from taking over the Alpha Quadrant by coming up with the minefield idea. So all of those characters have really useful things to do and the writers knew what they wanted them to do. But then with Keiko, it just seems like the writers threw up their hands and said, oh, well, crap, we've got Keiko. What do we do with her? Oh, let's send her off to Bajor and she can go do botany stuff. But we get no explanation as to what she's really doing and how it's benefiting the larger world and the larger Star Trek universe. So that's a little bit frustrating. But even more frustrating than that is my second reason, which is that of her becoming the nagging wife. And I'm not saying that she's actually nagging all the time and is sitting around going, Miles, you gotta do this. Miles, you gotta do that. And I'm doing a weird voice that I uh, picked up on Seinfeld. That's a whole other tangent. But she's not sitting around doing any of that stuff. In fact, she's a very loving wife who is obviously a good mother. She cares about Miles And she's always there for him, which is what you want. But the reason that she comes off as the nagging wife is because of the way Miles interacts around her and talks about her. There are so many scenes where Keiko is coming back to the station and then O'Brien's like, oh, crap, Keiko's coming back. I've got to go get the place ready. There's the episode where she becomes possessed by a paw wraith. And there's a scene, which is admittedly a very funny scene, where they're in O'Brien's quarters. Of course, Bashir's there. They're talking, and it's like, oh, Keiko's coming back, and you need to get this place in order, or she is going to lose it. And and Bashir waters some plants that aren't supposed to be watered, and then O'Brien's freaking out. It's like, oh, she's going to be really upset about the plants. And the way they talk about her makes her sound like she's like his boss or something, that he's terrified of upsetting her. And I know, I'm sure husbands have had this issue before, where it's like, oh, their their wife is coming back or their partner, whoever it is coming back and they want to get the place clean. But it's just the conversations that they have and the way they show it just make it seem like Keiko was a really unreasonable person who's just miserable all the time and is always nagging Miles to clean up the cabin or uh, clean up their quarters rather. But she's always displayed as a character that's always nagging O'Brien and that that's all he does. It's like, oh, I got to make her happy. I got to do this for her. Oh, she's going to be miserable and she's going to be angry at me. And it's just not a good look, especially for a show that is so great at developing characters and a show that is progressive where they're like, we're not going to go into the typical like housewife kind of sitcom-y role but they do, and they fall right into that. And even more frustrating than that for me are all the conversations that Miles has with Bashir, where Miles is saying, oh, I'd love to hang out with you tonight, but I've got to go back and spend time with Keiko and Molly, and i got to, you know, be a husband and be a father and do all this stuff, where it just makes it seem like he doesn't even want to be there with his family. He just wants to hang around the hollow suites with Bashir and drink and play darts and do all this stuff, which I understand that in any situation where you're, where you're married or you have a partner or something like that, where, yeah, you need time to yourself and maybe you want to have a guy's night and maybe your partner wants to have a night with their friends when they can hang out and they want to do things, which is fine. But they don't ever really 
hint at the fact that this is a guys' night thing. It's not like, hey, Miles, it's uh, Thursday night. You still up for guys' night tonight? Or something like that, where it's like it's a weekly tradition. It's just like, no, they just hang out all the time, and they're only not hanging out together every night when Keiko's back. And it's just like, oh, great, Keiko's back, so now I've got to go spend time with her, and I can't spend time with you, which I'd rather spend time with you. And it's, I don't know, it's unfortunate. And I, and I would have liked to show... Keiko and Miles just hanging out and doing something fun together. Maybe they're going to have a romantic evening and maybe Molly's going to spend time with someone else and, you know, get a babysitter or something. And, you know, maybe the two of them can go on the holodeck and, you know, maybe go to a vineyard or something on the holodeck or just do something romantic, like something that says, hey, I enjoy spending time with you, you know, just something as a couple. I would make it so much easier if they showed Miles having fun with Keiko and just showed their enjoyment of being around each other. But instead, we get multiple scenes of Miles talking to Bashir about, oh, I want to hang out with you, but I got to go back and spend time with Keiko. And, oh, Keiko's coming back this week, and I'm going to miss our hangouts, and uh, Keiko needs this, Keiko needs that. And, and that's frustrating. And then we get other scenes of Keiko and Miles hanging out where Keiko was just being miserable. Like, I don't like the station. This place is horrible. Why are we here? And why do we have to stay here? Can't we go back to Earth? And, you know, all that kind of stuff instead of having a legitimate conversation like, hey, I'm having a really tough time. And granted, they do have that conversation. And Keiko explains that she's having a tough time. Miles is able to help her out by getting her... Uh, access to Bejor and getting her on a botany team or something like that. But it's just, and it just seemed like, oh, Miles had to be the one to do that. It wasn't Keiko that was able to figure that out. And it just made her seem needy and whiny. And then all of those conversations that I mentioned just make her naggy. And so those are the two reasons that I think she sort of fails as a character. And the reason I think that this is so frustrating in DS9 is because DS9 set the bar so high. It just has character after character who's well-developed and thought out. Uh, people that you don't even think about. I, I mean, even Liquidator Brunt is more developed. We see Liquidator Brunt come in as, you know, the top of his game. He gets involved with stuff. He loses his license. He loses his business license and can no longer liquidate. And then at the very end of the series, starts sucking up to Quark when the whole thing with the Grad Nagus happens. And so, yeah, you get a little bit of character development, and he's an interesting guy to watch. And I say Liquidator Brunt because I always get a kick out of every time he shows up in an episode, and characters will always say, Liquidator Brunt, what are you doing here? And they always use the full title, and I love that. So whenever I talk about Liquidator Brunt, I will call him Liquidator Brunt. So people like him are phenomenal. And, and DeMars, I talked about in another episode, that he's incredible. And he was just a sort of a one-off guy who showed up, but then just kept coming back. And they kept giving him more development. You had Garrick and Vic Fontaine, who is a hologram, but is able to help Odo win Kira over. And he's able to help Nog heal. And he just does all these great things that you're like, I really care about Vic Fontaine, even though he's sort of a knockoff on the Doctor. Like, he's a hologram that knows he's a hologram and so i mean that storyline is not completely unique but he's great he does a great job and he's well written and he's likable but then when you have someone like keiko who just isn't well written and isn't given good storylines so frustrating when we see just how great everybody else is in the series and let's talk about 
Rosalind Chow's acting ability. She's a fine actor. She does a good job. I mean, look at the episode, The Assignment. Somehow, Rosalind Chow is able to play Keiko trying to be regular Keiko when in fact she's the Paul Wraith. And then Paul Wraith Keiko just being incredibly evil when talking to O'Brien. So she has the acting chops. And we know she can do a good job, but she's just not given an opportunity to flex those muscles and is always relegated to the nagging wife and the character that the writers just don't know what to do with her. So they give her random things like the school or doing the random botany surveys on Bajor, which really amount to nothing in the wider series. So it's frustrating. I really think that they could have done a lot more with their character, especially especially since we know that they can do that when we look at some of the other great characters that I've already mentioned. And I'm sort of repeating myself, but I think it's it's frustrating. And I would love if they could, you know, bring her back somehow, or maybe we get to a point where they do a Captain Sisko series and Keiko's there, and then they can give her some really good material and, like, show us as the viewer that Keiko is a great character and... She is worthy of being in Star Trek, which not that she isn't, but just the way she's written, it's like, ah, like, uh, it's just frustrating, especially when we've seen what Picard was able to do for Troy. But yeah, so those are my thoughts on the Keiko situation. I think it's really disappointing and would love for them to bring her back and just give her what she deserves. But I want to shift gears into something a little bit more positive and hopefully amusing and move into this week's edition of, wait, what did you say? And for this week, I want to talk about the episode Rise. And the reason I want to talk about Rise is because, well, to be honest, it's fresh in my mind because I was watching it to follow along with the Delta Flyers podcast, which... I've spoken about before, but if you haven't listened to it, you got to check it out. It's Robert Duncan McNeil, or RDM, as we like to say in the biz, and Garrett Wong talking about episodes of Voyager. And so this week they talked about Rise, so I wanted to watch Rise. And Rise is an interesting episode because it has a lot of technobabble. In fact, I think it's maybe one of the heaviest technobabble episodes of Voyager. Not positive on that, but there is a lot. But not only is there technobabble, but a lot of the scenes where technobabble is happening, it is characters shouting out technobabble. And you know me. I love shouting. I love it when people yell, which is why I call this podcast Yelling About Star Trek, because I love yelling. And so to me, there is nothing more exciting and humorous than when characters are yelling out technobabble. And in the episode, Neelix and Tuvok are on a planet and they're using some maglifts to get up to the atmosphere because they want to contact Voyager because the planet's being destroyed by meteors or meteorites or asteroids. I could never remember which one it is. But anyways, the planet is being bombarded. And so they're on the planet and they have to use this maglev to contact Voyager. And there's a great scene where, you know, they start moving up, but then they realize that they could potentially crash. So Tuvok is like, what do we do? And everybody's freaking out. And then Neelix goes, velocity, let's try increasing the velocity. It should stabilize our ascent. See if you could increase power to the tether couplings. 
And then Tuvok responds, routing backup power to the tether couplings. But the techno babble in this scene isn't as crazy as some of the other techno babble that we're used to because, well, velocity. Velocity is something that we know about. Stabilize is a word that I understand and is a word that is used in scientific conversations that happen here on Earth in the 21st century and tethers are something i know about i'm assuming tether couplings are something i know about because couplings are a thing and routing backup power is something that we do and again the tether couplings are a thing that we know so it's not as extreme as other instances of techno babble but because they're yelling it it's funnier to listen to and there's something about the way neelix shouts techno babble that just makes it that much more amusing and I don't know what it is. I think it maybe goes back to this idea that sometimes the writers of Star Trek will confuse shouting out Technobabble as them having a really dramatic moment. Like, they're spouting out some really heavy stuff. Like, this is really emotional. Or maybe not. I'm not sure exactly what it is that I just find so amusing about characters shouting out Technobabble. But it's fun and I always get the kick out of it. So I thought I'd talk about that for today. But what do you think? Do you agree with my thoughts on Keiko? Or did I say something that you are absolutely outraged about and really want to challenge me on? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Also, let me know what you liked about the episode, what you didn't like, what you like about the podcast, and what you don't like about the podcast. Because ultimately, my goal is to make a show that you enjoy listening to. And in the paraphrased words of Captain Kirk, I shall see you out there, that away.